0: Thank you, Steve, for that reading. Uh, Let's begin with prayer. Let's bow our heads, join our hearts. Father, we stand before you this morning, people that are the great recipients of your wonderful and indescribable grace that not only has brought us into your presence, but made us a part of your kingdom and a part of, of your family forever and eternally. And this, Father, means more to us than anything, to have this reconciliation, to to sense the forgiveness that you have have brought into our lives through love and your righteousness. And we pray, Father, to live a life that's worthy of, of the greatness of this gift. And may we always remember and ponder and contemplate it in ways, Father, that change us and transform us. And to this end, we ask, Father, as we think about your word this morning, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear in such a way that we are transformed to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said. Next week, as you know, we've been talking about it for uh, several weeks now, uh, we're going to begin our uh, entire church, all-church study of the books of First and Second Peter, and we're calling that Stand. So today we're finishing uh, our series this morning that we've been calling Reboot, uh, to reboot a life, as you remember, is to start life again, to start life in a place where it can flourish and it can grow and it can thrive. And the reason we're doing this is basically twofold. The first is this, as, as disciples of Jesus, the life of a disciple of Jesus is a life of transformation. It's about becoming in the future what you're not in the present Disciples must be fluent in the language of life transformation, that is, becoming the humans we were always meant to be. But there's a second reason, an equally important reason, and we've been talking about this kind of change in human life. That the second reason is that we as a church, we as disciples of Jesus, we need a language. And we need the, the concepts of change for the folks around us in this community who need to change, are dying to change, who would love to change the destructive patterns of the past, but they really don't have a clue as to how to get that going, where to begin, how to sustain it. Or on the flip side of that, they have tried and tried and tried, and they've become so discouraged that they really don't have any faith or hope or any any anticipation that anything in their life is ever going to change. And so if you've got your sermon outline out, I'm going to ask you to turn it over. And under this section, you know, this is the the Memorize, Pray, and Glorify. There's a a verse to memorize. There's something to pray through this week. But under the Glorify, which is about ways that you can glorify God, minister to other, uh, you know, all kinds of things that you can do to glorify God. On this particular morning, we're asking you to look at this little outline. We're providing you an outline this morning of this sermon series, that you can use you can you can put it in your bible put it in your purse put it in your you know put it in your phone take a picture of it and it's in your photos But here is something that you can use as you go through your day, as you go through the community, as you visit with people, as you have interactions with folk, and you come across people who are really struggling with how to change. They really want to change. They know they need to change. If they don't change, some worse things are going to happen in their life, but they don't really know how to do it. On the back of the the sermon outline, we've given you sort of the basic outline of this sermon series. And when you run into somebody like that, who is uh, just dying for change... You can always share with them this line. God wants you to give you a new life where you think you only need a new leaf. Everybody talks about a new leaf when what God wants to give you and restore to you is a new life. And there are four concepts to share with them about that new life. The first one is rebirth. That is the ultimate change that human beings must experience. And that is, uh, that is, that is the beginning point of life. It's also about, number two, taking responsibility for your life. The phrase that we have to kind of remind you of that as you go through your day is, if you're bent, and you are, everybody is bent one way or another, then you need to repent. And as you sit down with people, you can talk with them about what that word repent means. It means to change direction. You're going in this direction that's destructive. It means you've got to change and go in a different direction. And to do that, three things. Take responsibility assume responsibility, stop blaming other people. That's not to say that, 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 that someone has not contributed to the pain and the suffering and grief you might have in life. But at some point as a human being we take responsibility for the one and only one life that we've been given. So we not only take responsibility, we're honest about that life and we can take responsibility and we can be honest, brutally honest about our own life because we rely on God's love and God's power to make those changes. But that's not the only thing you need to do. You also need to surround yourself with the right kinds of relationships. In other words, you need friends from beginning to end. These are the people that are going to help sustain your, your change and your desire to transform in this life. And so you need special kind of relationships. You need the friends who can speak truth into your life and you trust them enough to listen to them. They know you well enough. They've been around a block couple of times with you and so you trust them enough and you know where they're coming from to listen to them and they're willing to speak truth in love into your life. They're there all the time. They're always with you so they can shoulder the burdens with you and they are a safe place for you to be honest. Now this morning we want to end the series by talking about one of the least developed, least utilized tools in the human toolbox and that is our ability. and It's a great gift it is our ability to forgive now there, there's a lot to say about forgiveness. we don 't have time in a kind of a uh, one time deal, one shot deal to talk about all of the aspects of it. But what we want to talk about this morning, we want to address the areas of forgiveness where the lack of forgiveness is a liability is it is an obstacle in moving forward for there to be any forward movement in your life and this This mainly comes because we think of forgiveness in terms of of an emotion. When it's not, it's really a decision and an action. I mean, if, if forgiveness was an emotion, Satan would give you a million reasons every day, a million and one reasons not to feel like forgiving somebody. But forgiveness is a decision and it's an action. And it's something that Jesus talked about over and over and over again. A quick definition of forgiveness would be this. It's an accounting term. And forgiveness is a decision to release a debt that is owed to you. That's a simple definition. Forgiveness is a decision to release, you're letting go, of a debt that is owed to you. So for our purposes this morning, we're going to use this little phrase, let go, move on. Let go, move on. Now before we talk about how, let's talk about why. Why should we forgive somebody? Why should we go through... Forgiveness is hard work. I'll be the first one to admit, to tell you the honest truth that forgiveness is mind-boggling, hard to do at times. But the reason that we need to forgive, reason number one, is to stop those those negative loops that we play over and over and over in our head. We all have these loops that we run in our brains, thoughts, thought loops, and some of them are pretty destructive. Sometimes the loop sounds like this. Every time I see my parent, I think about how they've hurt me and I don't want to be around them. Or I will never let my guard down around my spouse ever again because they, I can't trust them with my emotions. Or I will never trust a boss. I will never trust an employee. I will never trust a colleague at work ever again. Or I'll never set foot in a church ever again. Or I'll never be betrayed again. Or sometimes it's something a little bit more personal, something that's a little bit more inner. I can't believe that I did that or I said that or I thought that. Or sometimes it's, you know, how can God forgive me when I can't even forgive myself? Many of us live with these kinds of negative loops that just continually play in our head and if they're not playing continually in our head, then they come up at these certain moments where we're at a crossroads or an intersection where a decision has to be made, and it is that negative loop that continually plays in our head that that keeps us from advancing down the road in the right direction and, and beginning to be transformed and to move past that pain and that grief and that suffering. We drag those past actions into our present life, and sometimes it just stops us in our tracks, and we become paralyzed and immobilized for moving forward. We're holding on to something that is holding us back. And so one of the reasons, if we're going to be transformed and become the humans that we were always supposed to be, to to look like the Christ in the community, when we look in the mirror we see somebody that's changing, what we need to do is deal with those negative loops which sometimes involves forgiving someone or even the self. Number two, why forgive? It is to move forward in healing. Now, we all live in a fallen world. The world is thus, thus have we made it. We all carry wounds. That is a a given. So what is important is what we do with them. What we do with them is the all-important task. Are we going to allow that thing that happened five minutes ago or five years ago or 50 years ago, is it going to continually fester in our hearts and our souls, or is it going to heal? Are we going to put ourselves on a trajectory, on a track, To heal. Uh, One of my favorite authors uh, since I was uh, a young man is a fellow by the name of Frederick Buechner. He's written a book called Wishful Thinking where he kind of gives a new twist to some theological terms. He uses the word anger. And he says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come. To savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back in many ways is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. So this is the big why to forgive. Forgiveness acknowledges that we live in a fallen world, that there's fallenness all around us, and forgiveness takes very seriously the toxic nature of the fallenness of the world. It takes the toxic nature of fallenness seriously. And when we go through the hard work of forgiving, and we begin to, to release and to let go of that pain, and of that experience, and of those negative loops, there is something so powerful and therapeutic to our souls that we wonder why we didn't forgive sooner. And it makes the possibility of reconciliation. Now, just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that reconciliation is possible. But reconciliation is possible only through forgiveness, and forgiveness is relational healing. And as we forgive, we begin to move forward again. And as I said earlier, over and over Jesus teaches us to incorporate forgiveness into every relationship, into every circumstance, in all situations, every day. And it was something that Peter heard Jesus talk about all the time. And so one day he decides to ask him the big question. Matthew chapter 18 records it. He says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? up to seven times now behind this i mean peter thinks that he's doing this great this great thing i mean seven times i mean that's going the mile and then some during the first century rabbis taught that one should give up should forgive up to three times this mainly based on on the old testament prophet of amos talking about how god was going to forgive the three sins of the nations around israel so peter thinks he is literally going the extra mile by doubling it and then adding one and Jesus says, you've missed the complete picture. you missed the whole point that I've been making about forgiveness. Forgiveness is never about quantity. It is about the quality of your life. Thus, it needs to be a utilized and developed tool in the Christian toolkit. And Jesus responds and says, I, did, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to, say it with me, 70 times seven, which is another way of saying You'll never, ever, ever, ever hit that number. It's an infinite number. It is a number. It's a perfect number. You'll never get there. You forgive all the time. And so to make that point plain about the importance of just this lifestyle of forgiveness and forgiveness getting all the way down in the inside of you, he tells this parable in Matthew chapter 18. I'm, I'm so indebted. I, I heard a sermon by Tim Keller uh, probably eight years ago, somewhere in, in um, uh, eight to seven years ago, and was so indebted on how he pulled out verse 27 and helped me to see for the first time these three actions. And so, Matthew 18, beginning verse 23, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him 10,000 bags of gold. I mean, that is, that is an astronomical amount of money, an impossible amount of money. Who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back, the exact same words. But he refused to have that patience. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then here he gives, I think, some of the most frightening teachings. Because the lack of forgiveness, especially in the life of a disciple, has eternal liabilities. He says, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's a sobering parable. Because we have all been hurt. And we all have found ourselves at that point where we have to literally decide if we are physically, emotionally, intellectually going to forgive someone of this pain that they have caused us. And sometimes that pain is is the kind of pain that just seems to affect every part of your life and you can't move forward. And so he gives us three actions here to consider as we move forward in forgiveness. Action number one is to choose Compassion. Again, in verse twenty-seven, the servant's master took pity on him. I mean, here's this situation in which this king has has all of these uh, these these officials in his kingdom. He calls them all in to give an accounting of what they owe him. And through some kind of mismanagement, this one servant owes him this astronomical amount of money that he is never going to be able to pay back. And and the king is just justified in 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 sending this guy off to prison. But he asks. He falls down on his knees. And he says, be, you know, he asks, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. And the king took pity on the servant. When you choose compassion, when you follow in the footsteps of, of the servant's master, you take pity on someone. This is more than just feeling sorry for someone or just ignoring their wrongdoing. This is the deliberate work of reminding yourself that as a human being, you have much in common with them. Now, again, this is not easy to do. It is not easy to do. This is absolutely hard work. But what you're doing when you take pity on someone is that you are beginning to see that in their humanness, And in your humanness, there is some common ground between your life and theirs. Which is typically the opposite of what we do when someone has wronged us and wronged us in such a way that it really begins to affect uh, a lot of of, of how we view life and live life and respond to circumstances around us. Probably the greatest writer, the greatest theologian in the area of forgiveness in in our lifetime, in this present generation, is a quote by the name of Miroslav Wolf, And in his book, Embrace and Exclusions, he says, Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. So when you're showing compassion and you're taking pity, you're not excluding the person that has wronged you from the community of humans. You are being reminded that you too have a humanness about you. I'll give you an example. You call up a friend, you ask that friend, you've got you know, some, some free time that Friday night, you ask your friend to grab some dinner and they say, no, they're busy. You say, okay, no problem. Only to found out, found, uh, find out later that they went out with some other friends and did some other things and they just lied to you. And you feel hurt, and you feel rejected, and you feel lied to. And in your mind, you say, I hate liars, and that guy is a liar. But then you're caught in a lie. Everybody tells a lie. Why did you lie? Could it be that you're a liar too? Nobody ever says that they were caught in a lie. They, they never give the reason I lied because I'm a liar. Nobody ever says that. But that's the way that we treat people who have wronged us. When we refuse to take compassion, to take pity on them, we begin to move them away from the community of humans and only see them in the community of sinners, which is a community that we've excluded ourselves from. But then there's a second action, and let me say this. You know, it'd be real easy to talk about step one, step two, step three. Forgiveness is not a step one, two, three kind of a thing. It involves these actions continually going on for a while and especially the deeper the hurt the deeper the grievance the longer it's going to take and the more you're going to have to think about how do i show compassion to this person who is human just like me action number two then is to cancel the debt verse 27 the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt now this is the heart of the whole process and there have been times when I have had to say out loud, I'm driving my truck down the highway, and I'm upset at someone, or I know that I'm upset at something that I've done, and I have to say out loud, I forgive this debt. I forgive this person, and sometimes I say their name. But I forgive this debt. Now, here's the key to understand, uh, of understanding what's happening here when you do that. The debt doesn't just disappear. There's still justice and consequences, but that debt doesn't just disappear. The master in this story, I mean, you know, the guy owes him 10,000 bags of gold. He's never going to be able to pay that back. He cancels the debt. So who is going to absorb that debt? The master, the king. The master has to absorb the debt. And when we choose. To forgive someone, we are choosing to absorb that debt. Someone in the church has gossiped about you and your kids. Has said some untrue things. Said some untrue things and has said some mean things about you. Has said some mean things about your kids. So what are you going to do about it? I mean, if you don't do any, I mean, if you just choose to do nothing, what's going to happen? I mean, you're never going to forget that 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 face right there said some mean things about you and said some mean things about your kids. And every time you see that face, can you imagine? I mean, you go to church and you're to worship God, and then you see the face. And you can't worship God because you're thinking about what that person has done to you. It's festering and festering and festering. You know, we live in the 21st century. We don't have paper uh, directories anymore. We have the, the ones that have on our phone, the app. Can you imagine? You're looking up somebody, uh, you know, what is Mark Absher's phone number? And you look it up, and all of a sudden you see the face in that list, that long line of faces, and it makes you mad all over again. It, begin, it You have to ask the question, what are you going to do about the pain? You can gossip right back. You can tell some whoppers about them. You can ruin their reputation. You know, you can say, hey, you know, just between you and me, but I'm really concerned about this person, and I need to ask you what you think about this. And all along, all you're doing is just setting the scales even because you're going to say some rotten stuff about them too. And you'll feel feel better. I'm not going to lie. You'll feel better for a moment. But you know what that's going to do to you? It is going to bend you in the wrong direction. You can confront them, which, again, speaking the truth in love is a good thing, but you still have to forgive them in order to protect your heart from resentment and bitterness and other damages. And then the third action is to let go. At some point, you have to let go. Again, you've heard me say it already this morning about a jillion times. This is hard. It is difficult, and it takes time. And that's why you need friends... And that's why you need to take responsibility. You're relying on God's love and God's power to change, and you've got friends that are encouraging you to do the right thing. But at some point, you have to let go. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the dead, and let him go. What that means is that in your mind's eye, in your imagination, you are beginning to release your grip from around their throat and starting to let them go. Did I say that forgiveness is extremely difficult? I mean, you, you know what happens if you don't forgive? Is you go through life with, with, with a, a gallery of faces you want to punch. And then when you find yourself in a situation where the, the requisite transformations of self-control Um, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, um, kindness and gentleness and love are not there. But instead is the violence of the soul. You know, sometimes we don't want to do it because we think it's dumbing down the offense. We don't want to forgive somebody because we think, well, to forgive them really means that it wasn't that big big a deal. When you know in your heart it was because your heart is breaking. To forgive somebody does the opposite. To forgive someone is not dumbing it down. It does not do that. To forgive someone is to take seriously the offense and how you have been wrong and how there is a debt now that exists between you and that person. Or we think that they're getting away with something. Forgiving someone is not the same thing as injustice. Injustice. Forgiving someone is a a relational exercise between you and a person. It doesn't mean forgiveness does not negate the need for justice or the consequences of their actions. But it means that you're allowing God to be the judge. Judgment and vengeance is God's work. Our work is to take care of our heart. And number three, we think that in reality, reality we're saying, okay, this is, this is no big deal. When all of our innards are saying, this is huge, and all we're doing is lying to the people around us and we're trying to put on a, this nice facade, this nice face, this sunny face, when inside of us we are just dying a thousand deaths. And we can't move on. We can't move on until there's something that happens inside of us that is willing to say, I, I let go. To forgive is to take the pain seriously. It is to let go, however long it takes to get there in order to move on, to let go and to move on. Now, learning how to forgive is learning how to live as a new creation. Now, have I said this before? Forgiveness is difficult. <laughs> Somebody's listening. listening. Learning how to forgive is, is hard because it's learning how to live as a new creation. None of us would be here today if, if, if Jesus had not chosen compassion and if Jesus had not chosen pity and not account, counting equality with God, something to be grasped and in the incarnation became like us. And then on the cross, He canceled our debt. In Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins, what does dead in your sins mean? It means you are not alive. You may be walking around and you may be breathing. You may be eating a nice steak every once in a while. You may have some some laughs. But you are dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. And God made you What's that word? Alive with Christ. Why? How did He do that? He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the is let us go. You know, there's something. Um, there's, there's, I think there's a telltale sign of maturity in a, in a disciple of Jesus. And that is when the, the teachings, whether it's the Sermon on the Mount or you know, the Fruit of the Spirit or you know, what, whatever it may, that we're thinking about, contemplating, meditating on, there's a telltale sign that, that what has happened, what we've studied, what we're thinking about, has gotten all the way down on the inside. It's not rattling around on the skin, but it's gotten into our soul. It's gotten into our heart. It's gotten into our mind. And that's when we begin to see those changes in our life. That we really understand what it means for us to be forgiven. When we begin to feel our way through the actions and the processes, did I mention that forgiveness is hard work? When we begin to work our way through the actions and the processes of forgiving someone. Because what we're doing is what brought us to where we are today. You think about what, where you once were. I mean, you were a person that was just aimless. You, you were a person that even though you may, you may have had a great job and made great money and everything looked great, there was there, you were in darkness and you were not in light. You were dead even though you felt alive. And there is this forgiveness that came streaming into your life that, that, that changed everything about your identity, the way you think, your values, how you respond to other people, the value of other people, the value of relationships. And you begin to see that the way to live is to live in love. The way to live is to live in kindness and mercy and to extend to the people the same things that you've been given from God. You extend to people love because you've been loved. You extend mercy to people because you've received mercy from God. Gentleness you extend to people because God has been gentle with you and has not treated you the way that your sins deserve. He is faithful, so you extend faithfulness. And guess what? You've been forgiven everything. So in the passage that Steve wrote, Uh, read to us Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, we forgive everything. And it's not just relationships that change. And it's not just, you know, a, a church learning how to forgive that changes. It's you, it's me that begins to change. And we begin to look more and more and more like the one who calls us to imitate him who was, as they were nailing him to a cross, was able to pray, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. Jesus went to the cross with a pure heart. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he didn't. He went with a pure heart. And he calls us to do the same thing. You want to change? Take responsibility for your life. You have been born again. You have been born again into a living hope through Christ Jesus. We're going to look at that next week in 1 Peter chapter 1. Take responsibility for your life. This is your life. I can't live it for you and you can't live mine. This is your life. You've been given one life to live. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to Take responsibility. Be honest. The context of your life is God's love for you and God's power. You can change. Take responsibility and surround yourself with, with the proper kinds of relationships. People that are going to look you in the eye and tell you the truth in love that's going to make you a better person. Somebody that you, that's safe for you to be honest about yourself. Somebody's going to help you shoulder those burdens. Have you ever had a burden that you needed a friend help shoulder with you? I've, I have them every week. And then to learn to forgive, to let go. To move on. Not allow these things that have happened in the past to keep dragging you and tripping you up and hamstringing you and throwing you down and putting a half Nelson on you and turning you on your back and you're done. Let go and move on. Release the pain. We have some shepherds down here at the front. If they can help you with that this morning through prayer or whatever it might be, we want you to come down and talk to them as we stand and praise God together.